0: Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman.
1: Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today, she, she shares time between Tennessee and and also Florida. She invests in the Southeast. She's a mobile home park and RV park owner and operator. She'll be she'll be joining me as a speaker at the upcoming SECO conference next month. So please help me welcome my guest, Heather Blankenship. Heather, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, great. Well, thanks for coming on again. Tell us a little bit more about your background. You know, you're, you're kind of got a unique background that you do some of both. Not a lot of people do both RV and MH, but we'll talk about some of that. But uh, just give us a little bit of your background, how you got into this space.
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it seems to be different than most people's story. Almost 11 years ago now, I was driving across the country in a camper from Florida to California. And I was like, hey, it's just renting parking spots. It's got to be easy. It is not renting parking <laughs> spots, um, as I have learned now. Uh, but by the time I got to California, I had bought my first RV park um, on the Internet. I'd never seen it. I'd called the bank. The bank had it in bankruptcy. Uh Fast forward now, 10 years later, and I have four mobile home parks and four RV parks, as well as some Section 8 multifamily.
1: Oh, excellent. So do you have a preference? I mean, you obviously do both. Is one your favorite? I'm I'm interested in general, your view. I've got some RVs in my mobile home parks. I've looked at a few RV parks, never bought any. And then also, um, I see brokers all the time trying to, it's a a quasi-MH park, but it's got a lot of RVs. And they're like, oh, no, it's all MH. I'm like... I personally underwrite the cap rate different, expense ratio different, um, but I don't have a lot of RV experience or expertise. So t- tell us, teach us how to fish, I guess, on pros and cons and your preference.
2: Yeah. You know, honestly, I love the RV park industry. Uh, it's a lot more fun, if we want to call it that, uh, than the mobile home parks. The All the different income streams and the different ways that you can make money inside of an RV park, uh, are endless in the mobile home parks you know you've got your lot rent and that's about it maybe you've got a laundry machine there and you're collecting some quarters but short of that there's there's not a lot of other revenue sources and so if we talk about one property specifically I have one property that has over 10 streams of income you've got really? the laundry room there you're renting golf carts out that are leased so you're not you have no responsibility they're they're leased golf carts um, you're simply collecting that money for running the golf carts. There's a pizza kitchen there. the, the camp store brings in like two hundred thousand dollars a year, and that's a small camp store. Wow. Um, and so the the revenue streams are endless. Now on the flip side of that, um, as mobile home park owners, we know that means that they're a little more management intensive, sure. which is what everybody loves so much about just owning the site. Uh, so you got your pros and cons with both of those.
1: Right. I think I think of mobile. I think of RV parks as kind of a hybrid between. Housing and hospitality, because you, you've got amenities, you've got tourism, you've got to have a you know pretty robust marketing engine, um, and and then there's, there's, presumably you're not at full occupancy all the time at your RV park where the mobile home parks. It's very possible to have you know full occupancy for years and years, or or at least very very strongly uh, stabilization of occupancy.
2: Yeah, but the amount of money that you can bring in is so much higher. For example, if we we keep talking about this same RV park that I mentioned with all the streams of revenue, there's yeah. there's 133 sites there, and that property will take in two and a half million dollars this year. You know, to be able to bring that in on a mobile home park in Tennessee, you're just not going to see those numbers. Uh, you're, sure, your expense ratio is going to be a little bit different. That property has about forty-five percent expenses, but it's not that far off. So, it's kind of pick your poison. Well, kind of, on on
1: that thing. property I'm, I'm under contract right now on one hundred thirty-seven pads. That's RV and MH, and it's it's branded as RV. And it's a great place in the woods. I mean, it's probably one of the coolest mobile home parks we've seen. There are currently no RVs in there, but. I'm like, man, I might as well do both, and we're just we're just kicking the tires on it right now. But yeah, um, how, so what kind of management do you, structure do you have on a park? 130. I mean, I, can, I know what a 130 mobile home park management fee stru- structure looks like, but and you got a, you've got obviously you've got a store and you got other things. I mean, are you talking three, four, five employees? Or are we talking ten employees?
2: So it depends on how your operations work. There's really kind of four different types of RV parks. You've got the long-term RV park that runs just like a mobile home park, like sure. we've talked about, and we're yeah. all familiar with that. You've got the short-term RV park that runs just like a resort. Um, you know, there's a water park, there's <laughs> endless things to do. There's unimaginable things, you know, with the mini golf and the big blow up things in the middle of the lake and like all these things. So obviously there's, that's going to take more employees. But then you have the kind of hybrid park. And when I say hybrid, it's, it's like what people think of as a lake house. So they're going to pay you for the whole season, depending on the location of this property. And go to it often like they would if it were their lake house. So you're not turning over every couple of days like you would in that resort style RV park. Um, so it depends on what kind of operation you're running and how many staff members, team members you need uh, based on what you're offering with all those different amenities.
1: Well, that, that makes sense. We, we were under contract in arkansas in a park that had you know a great pool great clubhouse pool hall with like pool tables and stuff it had a lake you could rent fishing and it had i think it was 50 mh and 25 rv and the rvs were booked all year round because you didn't want to pull your rv out because you lose your spot so you just you just paid year round and you you didn't use it in the winter um we ended up the sewer system failed so we ended up not doing the deal but um but it, yeah, it looked like a great place. Like this would be kind of fun. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna use this as an excuse to vacation here. In, in tourist <laughs> it, town,
2: exactly. And so people treat it like their lake house. They're typically traveling, you know, within an hour or two of where they live. So when you're choosing a property like that, you're looking at the area, the surrounding area of an hour or two, because that's how far people typically drive for something like that. Um, but they're awesome assets. And as far as labor goes, or your team, like you're talking about, um, you know, if you've got a pool in this these amenities, like the, the pool table room and different things like that, you're going to need somebody to clean and you're going to need somebody to take care of that pool, uh, which can sometimes be one work camper couple. Uh, in the RV world, we use work campers. Are you familiar with that?
1: No, I'm not familiar with the term.
2: Yeah. So there's these people who've all decided to live in their campers and they're into their unique experiences. So they're traveling all over the country, staying in these different RV parks and they're trading their site for work. Obviously in their mind, it's, it's free as an attorney, you know, it's not right. free. We got to claim that in some format and that's a whole right. accounting thing, but, you know, say they work 40 hours a week and they get a free site plus some paid, or maybe they only work 20 hours a week and they don't get paid anything. And so you're, you're having a couple work campers on site like that. If you're in a, a smaller operation, that's not quite as intensive. People will staff those with work campers. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, cool. i have not, I'm not heard that term, but that's great.
2: Yeah. There's huge Facebook groups where you can find them.
1: So that, so operationally, it's going to depend on the asset. That makes some sense. How do you underwrite these um, relative to MH? I and mean, what do you, you've mentioned, I know expense ratios can be higher. A lot of times the, the seasonal renters, they're not going to get their own utilities in their name. So you're going to be paying water, sewer, electric, gas. Um, presumably some don't even have gas or don't have all of those, um, especially in the, in the South, I would imagine is a lot less common because it's not as, not as cold in most instances, but what about from a how do you how do you underwrite the occupancy and the revenue and the rent increases? Is it looking at historical trends and, and or just a market analysis, market survey? I mean, similar to mobile home parks, or is there some sort of other uh, variable or special sauce to underwriting that is is distinct from mobile home parks?
2: There's going to be some very similar. Similar characteristics when you're underwriting, you're going to have, uh, you're going to want three years of their profit and loss statements. As we know, some mom and pops you are not going to get that from, but that's the ideal goal. And if it's a larger property, you're probably going to have to figure out how to piece one of those together. Um, similar with mobile home parks, you're really concerned with what type of sewer system they have, because we know that those can make or break you depending on what they're doing with those. And then you're, it's really an art digging through that profit and loss statement, figuring out what's missing um right. <laughs> meaning there's no labor in here because mom pop and all of their relatives have been working there and living there for free. Um so adding that those labor costs back in and it is a lot of market analysis like you're talking about you're digging in to see what other places are charging and and where their rates should be which again is that whole are you buying on projected or actuals and so you're kind of seeing where it'll go. Um but it's a very similar process to mobile home parks. You've just got all those extra things in there that you're probably not going to use on a cap rate that you know like we just talked about the camp store you're probably not going to give that a cap rate like you would the site rent
1: okay so so it sounds like fairly fairly similar what about in general the cap rate i mean rv from mh i've always underwritten the rv components about 200 basis points higher than the mobile home park components to reflect some of that additional transiency risk lack of bankability We can talk about debt here in a minute too because there was one deal here in Kansas City i tried to buy, but we couldn't get, you couldn't get good, you couldn't get high leverage debt on the RV portion. Well, then it didn't make sense to pursue the deal near the price that the seller wanted. So then we ended up not coming to terms on price and never, never bought that deal. But um, how, how do you underwrite the, the cap rate for evaluation purposes? And how do you uh, underwrite uh, the debt, the debt components?
2: Yeah. So similar to mobile home parks, you're going to want to find some comps. Um, the thing with RV parks though, is we can keep going with this one property we've been talking about, which is in tourist town in Tennessee, Well, there's not going to be a ton of comps to pull um, that are necessarily like you would, if you were buying a house, there's not going to be a neighborhood comp. So you would be pulling similar areas. For example, Branson, Missouri would be similar to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So you would looking at similar markets to pull those comps to see what they have. And you're right. The RV component is going to have a higher cap rate than your mobile home park might have. For example, the uh, tourist town we're talking about now, they're trading at somewhere between a seven, eight and a half, seven to an eight and a half cap right now, all depending on you know deferred maintenance and how many sites there are in those different things that you would see in a mobile home park.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I've never been to Pigeon Forge, but I've, I've heard about it many times from <laughs> some friends, from some clients. Um, and then I know Branson, Missouri, well, and I think Branson would get offended to be compared yeah. with any, anybody other than Vegas. Um, <laughs> but I know, I know Pigeon Forge because we had a client that was—they owned one of the big, uh, one of the big shows in Pigeon Forge, and they were we were trying to take them to Branson, but they wanted a bunch of tax incentives, and City Branson's like, "We'll give you." I don't know, we give you free property taxes for 20 years, but we're not giving you the sales tax. And then the guy wouldn't come, you know, know.
2: and
1: and I I only only worked on it for like an hour because the guy's like, (laughs) I'm not budging. And Branson wasn't budging and was like, all right, uh, nobody wants to pay our fee, So I guess we're not going to fight that art, Um, but anyway.
2: You know, people that aren't familiar with that area, it has the number one visited national park in the country. And so that area, it's killing it with tourism.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Cool. So overall, if you had to pick your favorite, do you have a favorite of RV or MH or are they, they both consistent?
2: You know, if you take the the emotions out of it, uh, mobile home parks are definitely easier. Yeah. Um, but if you start adding a little more emotion and start talking it through a little bit, the RV parks are a lot more fun and they do bring in more money. So the I like having the mix of mobile home parks and RV parks, both in my portfolio, because I feel like the mobile home parks stabilize it a little bit more, but the RV parks are giving me much more cash flow.
1: Got it. Where where do you see each of these industries going in the next two to five years? I mean, are are they, you think they're both going to consolidate at the same rate or is one ahead of the other?
2: You know, RV parks, if you look at the trends over the last decade, we've had steady growth, you know, Some people will say, Heather, is this just because of COVID? You know, Mm -hmm. it's not because of COVID. If you look at the last decade of trends, it's had steady growth. Now, if you look at the portion of that, that was the pandemic, it did push it forward two or three years. But those trends were already happening. This isn't a new trend that people are seeing. The shipment numbers are amazing coming out of RVIA on what the manufacturers are putting out. So I don't think that trend will slow down. It's not the older generation that people keep thinking it is that's going to die out. Over 40% of the market right now is millennials. So that's going to continue. Now, mobile home parks, you can probably speak to that a little more than I can, but if they can't get homes and they can't get permitting to build new ones, I, I don't know where that'll go.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think it's definitely going to be more likely to build our. You're going to see more RV parks built than mobile home parks, just because the stigma is not the same. And then in average, you could maybe test or dispute this, but the average customer is probably going to be more affluent in the RV park world. They're going to have a hundred and fifty thousand dollar RV instead of a fifteen thousand dollar mobile home. They're going to be spending money, you know, at restaurants more and things like that. So that and then it's just kind of sexier, right? I mean, it's got amenities. It's nice. It's clean. It's you know it's kind of cool, um, where mobile home parks run the gamut of you know crappy trailer park to amazing gated community with you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollar mobile homes. You know. um, but
2: they still want to call them a trailer park.
1: <laughs> I know I do. They do, and that and that's why that's why I have my you know not that this is that you know unique of a theory, but that's why I have the theory that RV parks are going to be easier to get permitted in in large part and in many areas throughout the country where mobile home parks. I think there'll be more development in the future. Um, and I, and I know some guys doing development. Um, it's just a lot harder to pull off in a lot of locations and, um, we're looking at one right now and it's just, it, make, it makes sense to develop it in, the, but it's just beating your head against the wall, trying to get the government to let you develop it in a manner that is reasonably priced and potentially profitable.
2: And that doesn't even go down the route with rent control and evictions and all those yeah. things that you face with mobile home parks that you don't with RV parks.
1: And why don't you face some of those in um, evictions? Well, you, you, don't you, I would imagine you have evictions in RV parks. You, you don't just get a tow of their vehicle, do you?
2: Well, it depends on how long they've been there and what the regulations are for the area. So some areas um, have ordinances or rules, laws in place that don't classify RVs in that same manner. So, yeah, you, you call and they've got to be gone. Um, you call the police department and they'll make them leave. Uh, other areas, they're going to be treated depending on how long they've been there. For example, I have one park that if they've been there over 90 days, so there's they have to have stayed longer than 90 days to be treated like an eviction. Sure. And then I you see. don't have the rent control because yeah,
1: no, I recognize the rent control hasn't been as intense because frankly because they're so much more mobile that you're not going to be able to gouge them on rent, so they're not they're not being gouged on rent they, they, they you can they'll leave vote, they'll vote with their feet if you will and go to a different place. You know, yes. That, so yeah, I realize that's not as big of an issue. And I, I've, I've looked at lots of city codes that, and, we, and we help people in zoning work all over the country that on deals that are combo RVMH. So we, I look at the code. It's, it's interesting that some municipalities will have a provision saying no RV can be here more than six months, which, which means they want it to be touristy and transient. Other cities say no RV can be here unless they sign at least a six month lease and put utilities in their own name because they want permanence they don't want the you know traveling Charges, worker yeah. crews or whatever they whatever yeah. their negative stereotype is so it's been interesting and we, we've had some parks that have rvs we had one park where they had been four rvs and they were all problem children they were they were only living in one or two the others were used as a uh green rooms or, or what do they call those things uh to grow, to grow their marijuana grow <laughs> yeah green houses yeah green greenhouses. so yeah so we called the city and said can we tow these and they said sure <laughs> so we put tow stickers on them and hired a tow company and then the guy started tow company he he ended up leaving on his own but it was like i can't we could never do that with somebody's house i mobile alone but for the rv if that was the city's like yeah just tow it I'm like where do i take it
2: And it's interesting you bring that up. Uh, We were talking about the different types of RV parks earlier, and I explained three of them. One of the fourth types is a man camp. Um, And now that you mentioned that, you know, and those have a totally different value because they're typically there for, you know, an oil worker or some kind of short term position that for two or three years, that property may bring in a freaking killing. But in three years, it's not worth a dollar because there's nobody left in town. So that's one of the things I think people get in trouble with when they're evaluating, say, properties in places like Texas or um, Northwest. You yeah. know, pipelines coming through and things like that.
1: Yeah, we, I looked at a deal recently in North Dakota, and because of some of that, man camps, and then you know Biden's kind of oil policy has taken away a lot of the jobs in the you know oil, and gas, and some of the railroad businesses. So we, we've looked at some people with parks in the north, and the park just went dark overnight. So Fannie Mae has put some of those states on the pre-review list like there's basically like we don't want to do the state because the oil and gas jobs just disappeared overnight and there's a 30 million dollar complex that is literally empty overnight so you know not worth 30 million anymore but so yeah i'm definitely with you that that's a that's why i wondered on the financial underwriting do you have to look at numerous years of trends to see seasonality especially because covid i mean i know with some of my friends that have these things uh, have rvs it's like they didn't get they got into it in COVID time because they're like well, nothing else you can do. Let's go buy a camper. And I was on a, a hiking trip with some guys, and the guy bought a camper for like dollars three or four years ago. Went to trade it in. They gave him more than he paid for it.
2: Yeah, no different like, than what's happening
1: depreciating a depreciating asset like a car, and it was worth more because of supply and demand. You know? yeah. Holy cow. So that told engine- me that, that told me that the current occupants, if I was in the RV business. And, and I was going to ever, if I was thinking about selling in the next five years, I would sell now because there's, there's never going to be a time where my occupancy and my revenue is going to be higher than now. And if I can find a greater fool than me to buy it based on trailing 12 occupancy, I'm going to get overpaid
2: in spades. And yeah, I don't know if I think that's how it works. You know, people have um, gone out and some of them bought the second most expensive thing they've ever bought in their life, you know, next to their house. And they've come up with this new hobby that they like. It's not necessarily something that they're going to give up. Um, no different than people working from home. Our, our lives have changed some of it for good. Um, you know, they've reconnected with the outdoors and different things that they didn't realize that they liked doing before. And I don't think that's well, going to change. I,
1: I agree with you that it's a new hobby and that it's the, the, the zeal for the new adventure and outdoors attitude is not going to wane on its own naturally. But I think what's going what's gonna to limit what you just said to some degree is going to be when the NFL fully opens back up, when sports – MLB – but when concerts open back up, when restaurants open back up, when you can go to – like I'm a big Tony Robbins fan. Tony Robbins has not been having live events. So I've been there where there's 15, 20,000 people in the room. Well, there's zero people there in the room now. So I might I – have, I still have less social activity – and less hobby activity available to me than I did pre-COVID. So despite having a new month, new hobby, and kids, um, my neighborhood pool last year was packed because there were no baseball tournaments. There were no, you know, there was some, none of these other events. There were, you wouldn't fly somewhere. So there was artificial demand on my neighborhood pool that this year was less. I expect next year will be even less, despite people having reinvigorated their love of the pool. So I, I feel like some of that's going to happen. With RV business, but not MH, because MH is just housing, not hobby. Um, do you do you think I'm crazy, or do you have do I have any? And you're allowed to say that, even though we're on the air. Or do you think I do you think I have some merit in my ideas?
2: <laughs> I think if we go back and look at those trends that we just talked about, how they've been progressively increasing over the last decade, and probably before that, just the last numbers that I looked at were for the decade. Um, I think that's proof that it will continue to grow the, like we said they did push further a little bit more over the last two years but that's not a something that was you know stagnant and not seeing growth before it's been seeing growth for a decade so i don't think it's i don't think it's changing you know another interesting thing is a whole nother business or industry has been uh has come out of this uh rv share and outdoorsy do you know anything about that
1: i, I don't but i i think i will but by the, the name rv share the, it sounds yeah. like uh, airbnb for rv just
2: Exactly. And so one of my properties has, I think I have six now campers at that and you can, and I don't have mine on RV share or outdoorsy because I own the, the property, but it, it works the same way. So that like your friends, they cost me about thirty, thirty-five thousand $35,000. It's a travel trailer that sleeps six people. And over the last 12 months, They've brought in more than that that they cost me in people renting out just the camper because they want that unique experience. And so RV Share and Outdoorsy is for that consumer that has their camper, but they're not using it all the time. They can rent it out just like Airbnb. Yeah. And people have this whole extra side hustle business where they've bought three or four campers and they're renting them out on these platforms.
1: No, Now, did you let that happen? I feel like from, there's a there's a background check issue there where you but they're staying people. for
2: 3 days. Nobody background checks people coming to a hotel. So it's this it's the same idea. If they're coming for a short period of time as the owner operator, you don't usually even know it's happening.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of scary to me.
2: No <laughs> 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 so different than a regular camper coming to stay. The reservations in their name, they're just using somebody else's camper.
1: Yeah. Interesting. All right.
2: And the other component of that that you get with the RV parks versus the mobile home parks is the fabulous software. Um, I use a software called Camp Spot and it works just like a hotel or an airline. We have dynamic pricing and we have site optimization. And so something like that, when you're buying a distressed property, implementing those softwares will give you an extra 25% boost in revenue just from those operational changes.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, So it sounds like RV park business is a little more, High tech or sophisticated than some of the mobile <laughs> home park business.
2: It pricing, might be just yeah, a dynamic bit.
1: pricing. Dynamic pricing is pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it is. Yep.
1: I should, I should implement that for my legal business.
2: <laughs> there you go. Like I only got one time slot left. <laughs> I'm really busy today. The rate just doubled.
1: Uh, <laughs> that's my my old boss used to quasi joke about that. He'd say, "Everybody wants it, you know." He'd say the old, "What manufacturing conundrum?" You know, better, faster, cheaper. He'd say, "Pick two He goes, yep. "You don't want it worse." Right. You call me. I'm the best. You don't you don't want it worse. So that's not an answer. And and you you want it fast. So it's be faster. And it's not going to be cheaper. So it's, it's going to be expensive if you want it fast. So exactly.
2: If you call me on Wednesday before Fourth of July, it's going to cost you three times as much money to come stay here.
1: Exactly. Well, this is great, Heather. I'm learning about the RV business. Um, tell me tell us any more. Any tips or tricks bef- You know that we want to share with our audience before we get before we wrap up?
2: do it now before they're institutionalized like the mobile home parks
1: yeah that's 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 right there's you know what's the old Chinese proverb is no the best time to play in a tree is 20 years ago the second exactly. best time is now That's right. that's how I feel about the mobile home park business you know uh, best you know, I got in I got my foot in the door in time but I wish I'd have got it in the door 10 years earlier um, exactly
2: and people will be saying the same thing about RV parks in 10 years
1: I saw this meme the other day because apartment, I got a lot of friends that do apartment work and Mm -hmm. the apartment pricing is going through the roof and in a lot of places right now. And there's a meme of the guy that says, and he's, he's an old man with a cane and it says he's waiting for the prices of real estate to come back down before he invests. And (laughs) and he never did, right. he never got, but he could have made a, you know, he, he could have made two X starting then, you know, but he's like, there's no better time than the present kind of attitude. And, um, he thought there was a bubble, right. Um,
2: which is what everybody says all the time, no matter what's right. happening. That's what they're always saying.
1: You know, Frank Rolfe has a good podcast, Mobile Home Park University podcast. Yeah. And or has it's Mobile Home Park Mastery podcast, I guess. Um, he just recently did an episode on Microsoft. And and I thought it was one of his better episodes. Um, and he talked about, you know, people didn't, people had, Microsoft was at, I don't know, a dollar share. And then it went up to $6 share. People sold like, oh, we're never going to get better than this. And then they went to, Twenty and then I went to thirty. He went to forty. He's like, it was a good time to Microsoft twenty years ago, but it also was ten and people sold. And it was today. And and he kind of gave an analogy. That's where we are in the business. That pricing is getting to be higher. Capric or compressing, value. Compressing values are higher, but it's not the ceiling. It's not the bubble. It's it's on its way up, and we don't. None of us know how long until the bubble hits or if it ever will be a bubble for it's just full stabilization full maximization and optimization of value, um, which would likely happen through consolidation, which is already underway in some respects. And I thought that was a really good point and a really good, he put it in a you know, good episode. And, and that's how I feel like we are. I think he's right. I think he's right on.
2: I hundred percent agree. Frank is so good at those analogies and <laughs> putting them in real life explanations.
1: Yeah. He's a sharp guy.
2: Yes, he is. Um,
1: all right, Heather, anything else before we part? Or if not, how can people find you?
2: Uh, I am all over social media at Heather Blankenship X3 or my website at HeatherBlankenship.com.
0: All right. Thanks, Heather. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you.